Hello and welcome to Lost in Sci-Fi and Fantasy. I'm your host Leo, and this week we are talking Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Now, I wasn't really planning on doing this game this week, but after a certain point I decided, well, I want to buy Boulder's Gate, so I, I kind of need to make room on my PlayStation to fit Boulder's Gate, which was coming out. So I had about a week to loosen something on my PlayStation, and I decided Jedi Survivors probably the best candidate for that currently on my console. So, we're here now. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I got the game shortly after it came out, I believe. And, yeah, I I enjoy it. It's good. <laughs> I, I got it after the book. After I read the book. And I decided... Well, at the time I was thinking about doing it kind of right then and there. But I didn't know how long it was going to take. Yada yada. Yeah, I, I wasn't so sure. And hell, even trying to get it played for this episode was a bit of a, a bit of a mess. Because it ended up, I ended up having a lot more um, time-wise left to play than I thought I did. To where it is currently almost 3 in the morning on Monday when this episode's supposed to come out. So I, I only have a few hours to get this episode recorded, then edited, and posted. So, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> um... Yeah, so some, I'm going to, how am I going to do this episode and what kind of things am I going to talk about? So the main things I kind of want to discuss is I'm going to split it up between non-spoilers and spoilers because there's a lot of things I kind of had to spoil to talk about mechanic-wise and story-wise that, uh, that, we, that we can, so that we can also discuss where the game series might be going for the next one because... According to the creators, they have always envisioned this kind of as a trilogy, and they've begun development, at least partially, on the next game. You know, at least, you know, getting some ideas down. They have some ideas already, and they're, they're working towards a next game. And they intend for that next game to be fully on the next game engine and everything, so we'll see how long it takes and whatnot. But anyway, setting that aside... I also want to talk about how it connects to both the first game as well as the Battle Scars book uh, through references and you know story details and kind of see 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 where things lie. But with that, let us go ahead and kick off. So when we last left Cal within the video games, uh, him and the crew had just invaded the the in base inquisitorius or whatever what is it called it's like the fortress inquisitorius um they had just invaded that they were infiltrated there to get the the uh, uh the holocron and then they come to the collective decision to destroy it and then it cuts to credits that's where where that game ends and then you're kicked back to before the boss fight so that you can clean up uh, your mess around the worlds. Fun. <laughs> In the book, we had left them after having had 
a very tense journey with with an imperial person who is trying to defect. And they had a very tense interaction. One of them, Marin, had a very passionate interaction. And in the end, they kind of split. With Grease having lost an arm, and Seer kind of blaming herself, Cal kind of blaming himself, Marin's just kind of there in that case. Um, but, you know, th there's some tension amongst the group, and we've learned that each of them has their own motivations and goals that they're trying to, you know, complete, but they're coming to learn that maybe their goals aren't fully aligned with each other's. They're, they're going similarly along a, a similar-ish path, but they're no longer super aligned. And that's where we left. When we join back up with Cal at the beginning of Jedi Survivor, he is no longer part of the Mantis crew. He does, he's actually the one in possession of the Mantis, but he has joined a kind of task force, like crew, that has been kind of working with Saw Gerrera. And he, we join him on a mission for Saw Gerrera, uh, on Coruscant, where he is being kind of, he's been captured and is being taken to a senator. And we, we follow him through this little intro section until we meet up with the senator who is being a bit of a dick, to, to put it lightly. But yeah, then while trying to f fight this senator... Uh, one of the Inquisitors from the previous game, uh, which one is she? I think she's the ninth sister, I think. She, she's the, the big one. The big one that we, I believe, cut off her arm and then flung her off of a tree. We fight her to the death. And this is where we learn that Cal has kind of gotten a little bit more of a bloodlust going on in, in this game, where he is willing to murder. <laughs> now, to be fair, they are an Inquisitor, and that's kind of part of the justification, but you can just kind of feel that Cal's kind of gone a little bit more to the extreme, a little bit. And this game is also willing to go to new places, where the previous game kind of was... On the lighter side, I guess you could say. You know, the last game had some dark moments, but it was still, for the most part, kind of on the light side. This one's kind of going to darker places. With, uh, d deeper, deeper tones. <laughs> but... During this mission while they're trying to get information from the senator, um, systematically, each one of Cal's crew dies. Except for one. And... There's a, there's a little bit of an issue 
here. So the one who doesn't die is is Bode, who joins you for the rest of the game. But, and he's supposedly a, a newish recruit to to this crew. Now, part of the issue is I feel like some of the supplemental material should have been Cal with the new crew so that we could develop more of an understanding and a feeling for this crew. I don't know. I, I They might do a supplementary thing going in to fill in some of that time because part of the issue with the Battle Scars book is it's kind of smack dab in the middle between the first game and the second game, which is a span of five years. So, so that's a long time in between for, you know, that Cal could have been joining this new crew and getting to know them and building close friendships with them. And then, you know, we see them get fucking murked at the beginning of the next game. That would have been maybe a little bit more substantial. But it still is kind of sad because you do... The, the game does do a decent job of making you feel for these characters before they get absolutely crushed. Uh, but, yeah, so... I believe the Mantis in A Daring Escape uh, sustains some minor damage. So we decide to journey to Kobo, where Grease has set up shop, in order to try and get it repaired. Uh, But instead of a nice, soft, gentle landing, we crash horribly uh, outside the town and have to hoof it inward. Uh, at least I, th- I think it's to do with Grease. I'm sorry. Th- I, I will be honest that the, the beginning of the game is a little bit fuzzy for me because one, it's a long section of the game. And also I played it like a few months ago. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <Anywho. laughs> I do remember we go to Kobo to try to get the ship repaired, crash it, and then we have to hoof it all the way to town. In which we encounter the Bedlam Raiders to introduce us to that faction and what's happening there. Um, and pretty much from this point, we decide to kind of interfere with this planet's internal politics uh, because here, the Bedlam Raiders, a group of, well, local thugs, are kind of causing trouble everywhere around here. And you need to, you, you decide to help them by kind of investigating what's going on with the Raiders and whatnot. Um, and that you end up finding, during this kind of journey... You find, well, I, well, while you're exploring the town, you find this underground cavern under Grease's bar, and you find a robot named Z. Uh, you get her patched up and taken back up to the surface, and you find out that she is a High Republic droid who, who was helping her master try and navigate the, I think it's called the Kobo Abyss, I think, which is this big, like, 
vor void vortex thing, black hole looking thing. You can nebula. I don't know. That you can see in the sky at almost all times while you're on Kobo. Um, but her master was trying to do that. And the last bit of information she has is in the forest array. So you journey out to the forest array to see what's going on there. Fight Bedlam Raiders because they're also going there, I think. And there's also the Empire on Kobo. I can't remember which one you're fighting primarily as you're journeying through because they kind of interchange. And the Empire's overall role in this game is kind of drawn right back to where the main focus is kind of the Bedlam Raiders. Save for in a few instances. But anywho, you journey to the forest array to see what's going on. To see what what this thing that Z was here for was. And you go, and it's a guy. You find out it's a guy. This guy is a High Republic era Jedi. Who has literally been stuck in... <laughs> In this Bacta tank for 200 years and has somehow survived. I guess the Bacta like slowed aging or something. Now if I remember correctly, in, in the High Republic books, I've only read two of the High Republic era books. But if I remember correctly, Bacta in like tank form is a relatively new thing um, in in the light of the Jedi. But, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, but you find this guy, and you let him out, and you start talking to him, and then you realize that, oh no, things aren't good. As, as it turns out, he has gone to the dark side. You have a small fight with him, he escapes, and now it becomes a bit of a a bit of a race to to get to Tantalor, which is the planet on the other side of the abyss. So so your your whole thing is is to get a compass, well turn on the arrays, get a compass. Or at the very least, you're trying to stop him. And his name's Dagon. Uh, this Jedi who's not a Jedi anymore. But yeah, his, his name's Dagon. And I, you're either trying to stop him from doing it, or you're trying to beat him to it. it it's kind of... The motivations get a little bit fuzzy, but I, pretty much as Cal learns more about Tantalor, he realizes it's, it's a good place to use as a, a safe safe haven from the empire and so that that's kind of the goal he's working towards is to you know deal with Dagon and then get to Tanlor and use it as a safe haven for him and his friends but first he needs some more information on on the past and stuff so, they journey to talk to Seer. And Seer is on Jeddah. 
And this is probably where one of the biggest twists of this game happens. Um, and I won't spoil it right now. In fact, from here on, I'm probably going to have to go very, very light on story stuff. I'll just kind of give you the basic outline of what happens, and I'll go into more juicy details later. But from here, you go to visit Seer. She sends you off to... Well, it takes you a while to get there. You get lost. You meet back up with Marin, who it turns out has been hanging out with Seer and her group. Seer's group is um, the Hidden Path, who their whole goal is to kind of recollect Jedi artifacts and provide people a safe haven you, through safe houses and whatnot. And, yeah, so th this is kind of hinted at in, in uh, Battle Scars because... It's revealed that Seer's kind of goal is she wants to have the Jedi legacy, their history and their teachings preserved through artifacts and tomes and whatnot to be able to pass on the knowledge eventually. That was kind of her goal was to kind of an in the end, as long as I have done this, the knowledge will live on kind of thing. But, so, we work our way to Seer, talk to her, and then we go back to Kobo. Well, from that point we learn that we have to go to either Kobo or the Shattered Moon above Kobo. You can do it in either order. You do those, because I believe you're, at that point you are like trying to activate the arrays and find the compasses but you do that then you go back to Kobo I think do some stuff there go back to Jetta then go back to Kobo <laughs> when you go back to Jetta you you go there to to talk to Seer and Co and you try to do something, but an emergency comes up, and you and Marin head out to to try to deal with that emergency. Then you come back, then you go back to Kobo, and it's pretty much a lot of back and forth to a fair only like a handful of planets. I'll be honest, which is slightly disappointing, but also a bit understandable. But after a lot of back and forth, um. Eventually, things happen. <laughs> I think from here on, I'm pretty much going to have to go to spoilers. Because a, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff does happen. Um, before I go fully into spoilers, I will say I do highly recommend this game. It's gameplay and whatnot is a lot lighter. Um, well, sorry, not lighter. It's technically more complex but at the same time eventually you'll settle in to the combat and it becomes fairly simple you know 
if, if that makes any sense. Um, like you're given a bunch of different stances. Like you get a gun stance, you get a, a, you know, big old fuck off cleaver. You get, um, dual wielding, single blade, um, double blade. But eventually once you kind of pick your, your style and you settle into it, you're probably not going to change a whole lot. In fact, you're probably going to spec up to where you either max out only one of the um, stances or the your two main ones. Personally, I ended up using the... It's called the cross guard uh, one. Now, that was technically partially laziness on my part. When, when I got the cross guard, <laughs> I just kept it. I didn't change it afterwards. So it, it just was the one I had. So the two I mained were dual um yeah, dual wielding and the cross guard. And then I fully upgraded the cross guard because I actually really enjoyed the cross guard. It's a, it's a big fuck off long sword. You just swing it around. <laughs> it's very fun. Um the addition of the blaster is nice, but it doesn't add a whole lot. You get a zip line or a a grapple hook thing that is fun, though sometimes it can be a little bit finicky. Uh, the way you learn new abilities in this game is very similar to the last game, except for instead of Master Jaro to Paul, it's Seer. So, like, you get little glimpses of the, the space between the book and this game. Tiny, tiny little glimpses. And afterwards, you learn, like, a move. Which is mostly movement-based. I mean, partially, you learn, um... You'll, you'll learn, like, you know, force lift slash push down to, to move some, like, rocks and stuff. But otherwise, you will... You learn, like, a, a little extra dash when you're doing a double jump. So you can double jump dash. And then you get an ability from Marin to dash through certain certain things. It's it's very offhanded too. She's just like she's like, here, have this, and then you're able to do that now. Cool. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so I do highly recommend it. It's a good sequel. Though it could have used a little bit more connective tissue between, you know, at least between the book and it to give you a little bit of a better picture of the world that you're in now. But, yeah, it's definitely worth the money. I did hear that it did have a very uh, rough launch on, like, PC and stuff. But the console version, for me at least, was stable on launch or at least around-ish launch, and the only major-ish issue I kind of came across was, like, a bug here or there that I, I, I'll admit I partially caused, because I, I noticed, um, I was like, ooh, I can kind of, like, glitch my way through this area, and then I was stuck because I couldn't glitch my way out of the area. <laughs> Whoops. Um, and then there's just some minor visual glitches, which tends to happen a lot 
with the, at least these games. And modern games in general, which is really sad that a lot of modern games have, have visual bugs like that so bad. Mostly it would be like things popping in when, when they shouldn't be, or taking an awkward amount of time to load a rock in a scene. Uh, or, you know, there's a, a tense moment where Cal's talking to someone, but in the background, like, certain panels on a door behind him are just, like, flickering on, like, brighter and dimmer. It, it's silly, but, yeah. But, yeah, again, highly recommend, but now let's kind of start digging a bit into spoilers. And if you, if you want non-spoiler version of the ending, Cal gets to Tanlore, Cal wins, game ends. Uh, but in, in, into the spoilery bits. So, the biggest twist, at least personally, is that Master Endo Cordova, the man who pretty much guided you through the previous game, is alive. Now, to be fair, it just kind of... We, we, we all just kind of assumed he was dead. I sure as hell assumed that he had died, like, before the Jedi Purge. That that was kind of my assumption, is that he, he, he died on his adventure or something. But no, he's alive. And left BD behind, I guess? That, that that shocked the hell out of me to learn that he was still alive. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And he's kind of the one that helps us, you know... He, he's more the person that's actually there helping us. Like, oh, you know, you need this, you need that. Go here, go there, kind of thing. Kind of like he did in the previous game, but now he's alive. But, yeah. So... You, we learn this at the end of the first Jetta section, and then that's also when we get the blaster and whatnot. And then we go, and we go around. Like I said, it's a lot of back and forth, and there's, I think, less planets in this game, or technically maybe the same amount of planets in this game as the last game, but it feels like less regardless. The, the amount of planets feels like less because you're going back and forth between like the same planet so many times. It's lessened the, the strain is lessened a bit by the addition of fast travel, thank goodness. But it is still a bit of a, a ball ache. <laughs> to be like, okay, we go in here, now back to Kobo. Now go back there, now back to Kobo. <laughs> it it just ooh, it hurt ever so slightly. Menu. So the, the big things, uh, when we are journeying through, let me think, it is, yeah, when, when we're journeying through the Shattered Moon base, I think, yes, yes, the Shattered Moon base, we're being taunted by, I believe his name's Revis, who is the, he's the leader of the Bedlam Raiders. How? I'm not sure. Why? I'm not sure. Because supposedly, this man is also over 200 years old. He 
was around during the High Republic era. He fought Dagon and was beaten by Dagon. And then owed Dagon a life debt from that point on. And it has been fiercely loyal to him since then. But when Dagon was subsequently betrayed by the Jedi Order, they both, you know, fought the Jedi Order. And it took many people to bring him down. And he was eventually just arrested. Supposedly, he's literally just been in a Republic jail cell this entire fucking time. <laughs> like, all the way up through the third movie, he's just been hanging out in a cell. And he gets released because of the fall of the Jedi Order, and then just takes that chance as a time to ski-daddle. He then builds up the Bedlam Raiders, I guess, from scratch. The Bedlam Raiders also um, get lucky while on Kobo and find a downed Lucra Hulk and a bunch of, you know, deactivated droids on it. So they commandeer the droids and use them to, you know, rain some terror down on the people of Kobo. That, that's kind of the whole backstory with, with him. But as you're going through the Shattered Moon base, you, you're building up, he's taunting you for some reason and giving you parts of this backstory as you go along. And then you finally confront him. Now we've learned that he, he has like a healing factor thing. Like he gets his arm cut off. But he's just able to like pick it up and put it back on. But but you fight him. And he, he yields. You try to get him on your side. Because you've now done the thing that Dagon did. And he's like, no, that's that's not quite how this works. Um, and then he he's like, please give me my my warrior's death so he goes to attack you and he and uh, Cal kills him then kind of begins the I guess final ascent at that, that point you are uh, not dying he, he, he was able to tell you before you killed him that Dagon is after the compass and the compass is in the observatory so now you have to go to the observatory um and the journey to the observatory is a little bit annoying because it's mostly through a an imperial garrison so it's a bit tedious to get to and it feels very kind of like a non sequitur like oh you know you're you're wrapping up the the uh, you know, past kind of storyline because the Bedlam Raiders control a bunch of droids, like Separatist droids, and the the um, the one of the guys is from the High Republic, you know, way in the past, and he's too stuck in the past kind of thing. So you you hunt him down, but you have to deal with the the Empire first. <laughs> But it turns out that they're also doing like this raid on the, the observatory. But you, you work your way up. 
you, you find a bunch of droids along the way, some of the Empire, but not a whole lot, because it turns out, like, as you're getting closer, things things are obviously getting kind of more hairy, as, as, it, as it were. <laughs> but you finally confront him, and you kill him. You, you work with um, Bode to beat him up, and then you, you kill him. And you think, okay, we're done. We're not done. Because we still have to get to Tantalor, of course. So, you get the compass from the now slain Dagon. And you need to take it to Master Cordova to see if he can repair it. You get it to him, and luckily, you can. Now, during the second trip to Jeddah when you're trying to help deal with the kind of emergency for Seer, uh, Cal and Marin have grown a bit closer, so much so that uh, they share a nice tender moment and a kiss. Then, during this moment, while Master Kudov is working on fixing the compass, uh, Cal points out to Marin that, like, while the Jedi got a lot of things right... They didn't get everything right. Because he wants, you know, he now knows part of what he wants, and he wants to be with her. They share a nice tender kiss, it fades to black, and then it's the next morning and you're still in the same place, which is kind of awkward. <laughs> but you go check on uh, Master T'Pol's progress, and he's fixed it. It works. Good. Then, shock and horror... Bode betrays the group. Now, during the course of the game, he has kind of grown a bit close to the group. He's done a lot of stuff. But it turns out he is a traitor. He is an Imperial spy, technically. Um, so you chase down Bode. He actually shoots Master Cordova and kills him. So I will say that that's one of that's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine um reviving a character literally just to kill them and again technically you can say well you know Ma master Cordova wasn't stated as being dead in the last game but i'm willing to say it was heavily implied he was dead in the last game <laughs> but i digress there um but yeah, like, for example, in, what is it called? Armada, I think, by Ernest Cline. Now, that book is full of crappy tropes through and through. It was my first inkling that maybe Ernest Cline is a terrible writer. Because, you know, I, I got sucked into the nostalgia bait that was uh, Ready Player One. The book, the movie, I wasn't a fan of. Um, I got sucked into the, the nostalgia bait that was that book. And, but when I, when I went over to Armada, because like, ooh, I'm super excited for this. It's nothing but like 100% tropes. And one of the tropes is that his dad died ages ago. But when he goes to the secret moon base... His dad is not dead. 
But then when there's an attack on said moon base, his dad dies. So it, <laughs> it it's super annoying. Technically, also, I really don't like the opposite of that. Or is it the opposite? The, the multiple death fake out, which for Star Wars, the aftermath trilogy. Um, what's his name? Snap, Snap Wexley. I think that's his name. Um, his mom has like three death fake outs almost back to back and I hate it <laughs> I hated that so much uh but yeah anyhow so you you chase him down and then it turns out not only is he a spy but he's also a former Jedi uh you try to fight him but you fail miserably and get chucked off of a cliff and he he leaves then for a bit you play a seer as the uh, Jeddah hideout is attacked. You go through this big, long... Well, not really, it's actually a nice, relatively short level. I got a bit stuck on a bit because I'm, I'm a goober and I didn't understand how you were supposed to get up the slope. Anyhow. <laughs> you proceed through destroying like the, the invading uh, attack and whatnot. And then you get to... Like you get the con the communication codes, you give it to BD one, and send him back to the Mantis, and then you face Darth Vader. Darth Vader has personally led this attack on this uh, site, specifically to come after Seer. You fight him, and you get so close to beating him, but he kills you, and Seer does die. And at this moment, or it might be later on, but Cal comes across her as she's dying, or potentially later. I, again, it, the scene shifts slightly during it. That could imply that time actually was different. I, I don't know. <laughs> Anywho, Cal's there, and he takes the bodies of both Seer and Master Cordova, and they... I guess load them up on the Mantis. Which is a bit... Mm. But, yeah. Then... You go after Bode. Now, he's left the tracker active. Because supposedly he had a bit of a tracker on his ship. For, for some reason. But... I, it might have been something hinted at earlier in the game, but I can't fully remember. But we we you, you use that uh, bounty puck locator thing, and you, you 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 track him, and you track him back to an ISB base. You go through the ISB base, and you find Bode and his daughter, and he he explains to you. You know, he asks, you know, so you were actually a Jedi, how'd you survive? And he explains, well, the Council sent some of the Jedi to be with the Republic Intelligence Agency, which eventually became the um, Imperial, the ISB, Surveillance Bureau, I think it is. 
Um, and he used those skills that he gained there to disappear. And he met a woman, fell in love, had a daughter. And then one, at some point, he was told, he got a message, don't come home. It was his wife warning him that Inquisitors were coming after him, and he had to disappear. And he came to the conclusion that he had one option to survive. And that was to go to the ISB, strike up a deal, that he would hide him, that the ISB would hide him, as long as he was useful to this specific ISB agent. But, it turns out that Cal was being used by Bode, in this specific instance of coming to the ISB base, to, well, try and deal with the, IS, the ISB base. And the guy that was playing Handler. Because when Cal confronts the, the leader, the uh, commanding officer, you learn that the ISB was planning a t an attack on Jetta. It was you know, months in the making. And it was still months out from actually happening. But since Vader led the attack... It is implied that Bode literally just brought Cal here to deal with him. And you, the next bit gets a bit confusing. This is before you actually confront Bode. Now Cal kind of starts, here he starts kind of tapping into his, his dark sidiness. Uh, he drops the guy, knocks him onto the table, and he is knocked out. Now, I wasn't sure if he was dead or not, but regardless, Cal, like, steals his clothes and then uses it as a disguise to wander around to get to Bode's, um, abode. <laughs> uh, anywho, then he, when you confront him about you being a, a decoy, he uses the force to push you away. And then Scarpers. You chase after him. And here you properly start tapping into the dark side. And you start attacking. You work your way through the base. Chasing after him. But he got away. But you know where he's going. He has the compass. He's going to Tantalor. You, you work your way through. And... Marin comes to try to help rescue you and you're kind of you could theoretically get through this encounter without using the dark side but you, you end up using the dark side <laughs> in fact the time stop power where you would like freeze people in place and attack them that has become like permanently a dark side ability and you you use it <laughs> because they start throwing larger amounts of strong enemies at you from this point on. Um, but yeah, so you work through that. The only, like, actual, like, in-scene use of the dark side is when the ISB commander comes after you and you pretty much almost kill him. 
because it turns out that he's the one that sent Bode in to infiltrate the group, which ended up getting the group killed, in the, in a sense, and also led to the death of Master Cordova and eventually Seer. So he's putting all the blame on the ISB guy and almost kills him. But Marin talks him down, calms him down, and then they move on. But that, that ability is permanently there. You, you can tap into it whenever you want. Then, you, you have to... Well, you, you learn from a message that has been kind of playing on repeat uh, since the last fight with Dagon, just like a small part of it. For some reason, in that message is literally still a way to get back to, to Tantalor. Because I, I don't know why she sent this message. Because the message, I believe, is supposed to be intended for Dagon to pretty much say, hey, you've lost yourself, it's too late, but hey, if you want to go back to Tantalor, I guess, this is how you could, in theory, do it. And that is to just align the arrays. Now, I had actually gotten lucky and had discovered the the fast travel point to the um, array room super early. I was like, huh, weird. This room's odd, and I keep hitting the button, but it, it doesn't stop the things. It's because it's literally an endgame room. Whoops. But, so I, I teleport there, and I get through the onslaught of purge troopers, and then dark troopers, and fucking sentry droids, or what are they called? Probe droids. That's it. <laughs> Just go through the onslaught of them. Then I move on. Go up. Align the thing. And then we go to Tantalor. And we fight Bode. But. So while Marin is all for killing Bode. In fact she's trying to pretty much get get it through to Cal. That hey you know we're probably going to have to kill him. We're probably going to have to kill him. And Cal's like. Yes. But, while he's an asshole, his daughter, his daughter will end up without parents. She's at about the age where we both lost our families. So, you know, it, it it's hard. It's extreme struggle. And I want to potentially save her from having to deal with that. So Marin concedes and says, fine, we'll give him a chance to stop, to like, Give it up for her. So you go, you talk to his daughter, who leads you in. Now, we ask her to lead lead us to her dad, but it's literally like just a single hallway, so it doesn't need a whole lot of leading. But we go in, and he pretty much just says, no, and continuously puts his daughter in harm's way, because he's angry. You fight him, defeat him, Kill him. Uh, Cal has a bit of a remorseful thing. And during the fight, you have to once again tap into the dark side. Um, like, as like a prompt, which is like embrace your dark, the darkness. Then you 
move on, and the, the implications are kind of left up in the air as to whether or not Cal's going to continue to tap into the dark side or not. But there's an entire scene when they're doing a fu the funeral for all three fallen Jedi in, in this game. And, well, okay, all three of the main ones, <laughs> except for Dagon. Dagon just fucking dead on Kobo. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Bode, Seer, and Cordova. So, you hold the funeral, and it's Cal pretty much standing there. There's a symbolic thing with the daughter. She puts the her stuffed animal toy thing on top of her dad's thing to, you know, kind of symbolically let go of both of her parents, because the doll was given to her by her mom, while still holding on to some of the memories of her mom by still singing the song that she sang to her. But anyway... Cal and them all go up to kind of look and pay respects to the, the burning bodies, but Cal stays there extra long. He just stands there for hours, like, into the next day. <laughs> um, and finally, he says, like, he, he says his goodbyes to Seer and kind of confides in her spirit, I guess, that he doesn't know if he's ready for the next step, what needs to be done next, because he he almost lost himself, you know, by tapping into the dark side frequently, it would seem. Um, Marin's reassurances are that, you know, Seer, she, she was able to confront and overcome her dark side. You will too. And Cal, while standing there, is given kind of the, the message from Seer to guide her through the darkness. Presumably the, the child. To, to help her get through this almost certain dark time that is about to come for her. But, yeah. That's, uh, it's where the game ends. <laughs> um, then, then there is a post-credit scene that leads very smoothly into the post-game. Um, after the credits roll, there's a scene where they're trying to discuss what to do next. That is, you know, they're going to try to set up something on Tantalor, you know, a little safe haven, something to do. But first they have to, you know, see if the compass works. And Marin gives him the compass, or Grease gives him the compass? One of them gives him the compass and says, it belongs with you. And he says, no, it belongs with us. And then he goes over to the kid and is like, you think we're good to go? And she's like, yeah. Then you're in the post-game, baby. <laughs> but yeah, so that, that's, that's that. The game is a lot of fun. There's some annoying things like, some of the traversal in this game feels like it goes on forever. Like, like when I was talking about how it feels like a bit of a non-sequitur to go through that Imperial base, it's because you, you literally spend like an hour going up and through into that Imperial base and then out before you're kind of back going after the, you know, High Republic Jedi that's on, on the run. 
Yeah. And it, it, it's just so long. I was expecting to be able to play a little bit on Saturday and then finish it off easily on Sunday. That did not happen. I played. I was able to play a bit on Saturday, and I was expecting like to be fairly close to the end game. But no, I spent an additional six to seven hours playing the game just today. Like before, I I, I literally pretty much just finished playing it before coming here. Now, I'm not saying that you know, ooh, too much game, bad kind of thing. It's just you you tend to lose track of what the hell you're doing when you're doing something almost completely unrelated to 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 your main objective. Anyway, uh, with that said, again, I do highly recommend it. The gameplay is good. The story is good. Um, could use a little bit more connection to previous materials but where are we going in the future i don't know <laughs> my best guess is that we're going to do another time jump into the future to where they have set up something on tantalor like a little bit more permanent and they they're you know trying to keep it good keep it safe and maybe cuz there's a small hint of the nile now, I haven't read a whole lot of High Republic stuff, so I don't know if the Nile have been completely wiped out or not, or if there's still technically a threat that's just hanging out or not. I don't know. I need to read more High Republic books. Um, but if they are still a potential threat, that could be something that Maybe even if it's like an old Nile remnant that's just been kind of festering for the past 200 years. Like a multi-generational Nile remnant comes and attacks them. I don't know. But I do feel like it might have something to do with Tantalor or something. I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to find out what they decide to do. Or if they decide to do. Some things that they will probably tackle are... Cal either accepting the fact that he now uses partial dark side powers or him just fighting to repress it. I don't know. We'll see. I'm excited to find out though. Anywho, with that though, let's get into the challenge update. So, I have been a little bit of a bad boy. I haven't made a whole lot of progress. It's a Kane Chronicles book. And while at the end of last episode, when I was talking about it, I was optimistic, I hadn't at that time actually gotten to a Sadie Kane chapter. And once I did, every page, every paragraph, every action she takes in those two chapters, feels like I'm being spat in the face every single time. To where I just, I close it and I set it aside. Knowing that I should have probably just pushed through, but no. <laughs> it It's almost literal agony to, to read. I have so far only gotten to the end of that Sadie section. 
Because in that section, she throws such a hissy fit. She makes such illogical, stupid choices that I can't tell if they're intentionally annoying or not. I mean, it's technically referenced, like, lampshading an issue does not solve the issue, you know? Yeah, it's like when when they they lampshade doing a terrible action. Um, for example, you know they, they like they're like, hey, look, I'm pointing, I'm pointing out the fact that I'm doing this thing. It's funny, right? No, it's not. You're just pointing it out. You're making it more obvious and ten times more annoying. So in this case, it's Sadie's birthday tomorrow. And, ugh, the stress of what's going on is just getting to be a little bit too much. So, she decides that, eh, four days is too much of a deadline. Golly gee. Let's reduce that down to three. Because it's my birthday. And I had plans. Now, presumably, according to the story, well, according to the story, they have been planning this trip, her trip to London, for a little while now. Her grandma and grandpa had messaged her saying, hey, come join us and your friends and have birthday in London. And she is like, yeah. So they've been planning it for a while. But just as it's coming up, they get a message from, uh, crap, what's his name? Horace. <laughs> they get a message from Horace saying, hey, um, you guys have five days you need to get this scroll, and you need to awaken Ra. That's the, kind of the, the MacGuffin slash the, the um. The main plot of this book, they need to awaken Ra, in five days, to try and at least slow down the snake. <laughs> because at that point, because the, the deadline is because at that specific day. It will be the weakest, like the, the most balanced day. So it's the best time to awaken Ra because like magic's weak and whatnot. And flip side, it's also the best chance that the snake has to escape. So that's why they have to do it by then. But to do that, they have to collect three scrolls that represent the three aspects of Ra. His morning, noon, and night aspects. Before he's reborn the next day. You have to get all three. Join them together to be able to actually understand the scroll. So on and so forth. But Sadie is so set on doing this. That she just says no. Because Carter's like okay. We'll get ready. And we'll leave in an hour. And she's like no. I'm taking the day off. And I'm going to London. And I'm just like, why? Why do you have to do this? Like, 
Literally. I, I get it. I get it, kind of. But at the same time, it's one of my biggest pet peeves is just not understanding the the weight of a situation to get so lost on something else that you just don't see the the literal thing in front of you and again it's mentioned she she does talk about it she's like oh you know i'm I, i'm i'm bound to not feel guilty about this and whatnot but literally it's a 4 day deadline you could literally do this afterwards like immediately afterwards you just do this and then afterwards have a belated birthday party with your friends but this is literally the world we're talking about <laughs> now supposedly though they have been kind of going non-stop since the previous book at the end of the last book they were off to kind of get their first students and we actually meet their first students um in the beginning of this it's uh, jazz and walt now jazz be partially because of her actions is now stuck in a fucking coma because she impulsively went to grab the fucking scroll in a heavily booby-trapped museum, expecting the scroll not to be booby-trapped. And, to be fair, technically, it wasn't. The scroll just got excited, supposedly. But it did end up triggering all of the booby-traps in the fucking room. And ended up putting that girl into a coma. And then afterwards, she decides to throw a fucking hissy fit and run off to do her birthday. In which she then gets captured. By, I guess, a snake? I don't know. I haven't continued on from that point. But, yeah, so th that's part of my gripes and why I'm having trouble. I'm just going to have to muscle down and push through. Like I said, I was optimistic last week because they had decided to tone down her accent a bit in the writing. But they didn't even fully do that. Um, they, they toned it down a little bit on her side. Not a whole lot, just a little bit. But yeah, I'm just going to have to grit my teeth, go through. The Carter bits aren't terrible. They're not great, but they're not terrible. I can push through those easily enough. But the Sadie bits, I'm just going to have to grit and bear it and push through. Because her, her bits are so bad. I don't know why why Rick Rorden decided to write her as the world's most annoying character. I don't know why. Now, supposedly, though, this Sadie Kane was his first foray into writing like a, a, a woman character. Um, and fuck, it feels like it. It's not good. <laughs> It's not a good attempt, because he just made her super whiny and annoying. And it, it's a bad look, I'll say that. Anywho, um, but yeah, my, my plans going forward, because I, with this delay, I am once again technically two weeks behind. 
My current plan is Monday is fairly open, so all of Monday I'm going to spend pushing through this book. I'll just force my way through it, and hopefully by the end of Monday I'll be able to start the next book. If I'm not, then it'll have to be Tuesday. Tuesday is a little bit more restricting because I do have to get a new Lego Pirates of the Caribbean episode out. Sorry that there was no commentary on that episode. Um, literally, my commentary got corrupted the minute I tried to save it. A thing that I'm hoping doesn't happen to this episode I'm recording right now. Because there's like a there's a small chance that that might happen. It just sometimes happens. Like I, I don't know why. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I on Tuesday I need to do another Pirates episode. I also need to see about streaming sometime. But if I'm able to finish the Kane Chronicles book uh, on Monday, today, I'll then try to move into the first Magnus Chase book at, immediately after. At least get a little bit into it. And then I'll see about on Tuesday, regardless, starting the the Magnus Chase book and pushing through. Uh, and hopefully I'll be able to finish it Wednesday. Wednesday should be another fairly open day for me. So I'll just sit and read throughout the entirety of it. Get it done. Then the following thing is Thursday. Thursday I should hopefully be able to start the second Magnus Chase book. I'm just really hoping that Magnus Chase is good. <laughs> my, my fingers are crossed. Hopefully it's good. Anyway, with that said though, I will be doing that and hopefully it, it works. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you guys like this, feel free to give it a like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. Uh, follow it on other platforms that, where you might get your podcasts. Share it with your friends and whatnot. Um, I don't know what next week's going to be. Could be anything. Uh, it Probably either a movie or a video game, though. Uh, if I push on it, I might be able to get Crisis Core finished, maybe? And we'll do like a second game in a row? Otherwise, it'll be a movie of some sort. Ooh, or if I push and I get the first uh, season of Doctor Who, like the, the reboot 2005, Doctor Who, um, I might do an episode on that. Maybe. We'll see. Anyway, <laughs> thank you guys so much for uh, listening. I'll talk to you guys later. Goodbye.